I can't really imagine running a business about something that I didn't care about. <laughs> I think it would just be boring and it wouldn't keep me motivated. Hey, my name is Philly Satia and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn the pros and cons of turning a hobby into a business, the most important skill sets to learn when you're transitioning from a passion project into a business, and the best way to drum up demand for your product when you're building a pre-launch list. Before our show, I want to share our exciting contest with you. We love sharing and hearing incredible stories from founders and want to help you wherever you are in your business journey. That's why we've teamed up with Elgato and EffieDesk to host a giveaway where the grand prize winner will receive a MacBook Pro, FaceCam, Wave 3 microphone, business office desk, Airy chair, a free year on Shopify, and so much more. There will also be nine runner-ups winning a year-long subscription for Shopify. The winners will be selected randomly on October 1st, 2021, and the contest is open to North America, excluding Quebec. For more details, visit shopify.com slash prize and complete all three steps to enter. Today, I'm joined by Sarah Resnick from Just Yarn. Just Yarn is a yarn shop that inspires a growing community of weavers with quality weaving yarn, fresh pattern designs, and a warm and welcoming spot to find your weaving home. And was started in 2017 and based out of Norwood, Massachusetts. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks, Felix. I'm excited to be on. Yeah, so tell us about your journey so far, because I know that your journey actually starts way back in your childhood. So tell us more about how you got into the yarn business. Yes. Well, I have been interested in fabric and yarn and knitting since I was quite little. A good friend of mine, her grandmother taught me how to knit when I was seven years old. And I kind of found my way through various fiber crafts throughout my childhood. And in my early adulthood, I was working on a farm out in California where we had a bunch of sheep and we were growing them for meat, but there was a lot of wool in the barns from them over the years. And so that tipped me into interests in spinning wool. And I also saw this, this loom, a floor loom in the barn um, that I was really curious about that whole year. So the, the following year I moved to Toronto and I had an opportunity to take a weaving class and it was kind of the rest is history. I really loved the methodical um, and creative mix of being a weaver and choosing the yarn and, and materials to make fabric with. Um, and so I've been a weaver for, I think, 12 or 13 or 14 years. Um, and I started my company, Just Yarn, four years ago in 2017. Um, and my goal was to find beautiful materials and yarn for weavers and to sell it to them. <laughs> um, and we've evolved a lot and grown since then. And now a big focus of our company is making our own lines of yarn. We do mostly working with um, farmers and textile mills in the U.S. and we produce patterns for weavers. We sell, um, we make podcast episodes for people to listen to, and we're really focused on building a community for makers and weavers. And that's what we do. Awesome. So this lifelong, almost the right experience with mm -hmm. with yarn, with weaving. What directed you towards the, the business side? Like, why did you decide to say, you know what, let's start a business around this this uh, passion of yours? Yeah, that's a good question. I had been working for a bit before in sewing manufacturing and learning my way around the textile mill scene and U.S. cut and sew um, factories in the U.S. 
And I knew that there was just beautiful quality materials that were being made here. And they weren't necessarily easy for weavers at that time to access. And so I wanted to be part of that link. I wanted to work with textile mills to make their products more accessible to weavers. And I wanted to get weavers more excited um, about working with local materials and, and beautiful materials. So that's that's what I wanted to do. And e-commerce seemed like the best way to do it. Weaving, as you can imagine, is pretty niche. <laughs> so it's not like I could open up a store on the corner and find, you know, thousands of weavers in my neighborhood that would want to buy yarn. Um, but the internet is a really wonderful place in the respect that people in small niches can come together. And I was really lucky on the first day we opened, I opened my shop a number of people bought from us on the first day and really we've been supported by our community ever since. Awesome. So for others out there that have this similar path where there's a passion of theirs and then they recognize that they, for, for whatever interest, for whatever reason, they want to get more involved and get into the game of the the kind of the, either the business side or just wanting to be involved in in more of the creative side, the creation side of, of whatever their passion is. What are some of the kind of pros and cons with that kind of combination where you have this passion that is probably a hobby at first, then you want to now uh, build a business around it? What have you learned along the way about what's uh, an advantage or what, what's hard about that? Yeah, I mean... I think it's mostly pros. I can't really imagine running a business about something that I didn't care about. <laughs> I think it would just be boring and, you know, it would it, it wouldn't keep me motivated. So, I think one of the cons people always can often talk about is that if you turn a hobby or something you love into your work, then it can make the hobby less fun. Um, you know, I would say running a company making and selling yarn is not I don't spend my days or really much of any of my work time actually weaving at the loom anymore. So the hobby is still quite different for me, um, but I'm really lucky to get to have my work be adjacent to one of the things that I love to do. And that adjacency is making yarn and working with our great team to develop patterns and content for our community. Yeah, what would you say is what was the most important or or maybe useful knowledge or skill that you had because you were a a customer, a, a consumer in this space, a, someone that already had a passion and as an as an end user of the products that you're creating? What are some of the biggest advantages that that you recognize because you came from that position that you uh, you know felt that helped you a lot in growing your business? One of the things that I was not so afraid of right from the beginning was creating a product that would have a higher price point um, because I knew that what I wanted to do, which was we work with a lot of organic fibers, we're working with a lot of domestic producers, we're you know making yarn in small batches, which is more expensive. Um, I knew that there was going to be a higher price point there. And because I'm a weaver and because I know how many hours go into you know weaving and designing one scarf or one shawl or one blanket, um, I felt confident and because I know the community of weavers, I felt confident that people would be willing and even excited to pay a little bit more to have materials that they really knew a story behind and were excited to support and were really high quality. And so I think that you can only really imagine or be less afraid of building out um, a higher price point if you have a good sense of the community and of the market. And that is really what has allowed us to grow. 
you know, not, mm. not being afraid of saying this is really high quality. This is exactly how we make it and who we make it with. And this is why it's worth a bit of a premium price point. And we'd love for you to join us if you'd like to. Yeah, I think that that's definitely a important point about how it, the easiest way to to feel comfortable to to justify maybe a higher price point is truly believing in your product, truly believing in that you are offering something that is worthy of that kind of price tag. And because you understand the quality, the, the, the craftsmanship, that the work that's required behind it, I think um, a lot of people might feel uh, typically maybe ashamed even of charging a higher price. But if you know the quality is behind it and you know, again, the market, yeah, you're you're a customer yourself. You see the value in a high, higher quality, you know, uh, production, a higher quality uh, material. You can see why you can you can feel confident in charging those higher prices. Now, yeah, yeah. Now, you when you when you decided that you wanted to get into this space, what were some of the biggest skill sets that you have to learn? Because I think you know, again, a lot of people might have passions that they have, and then they want to to get into the business of that that passion, and it's not just you know, taking your passion, doing every day, like you said, you don't spend your, your days doing the actual, you know, your, your passion itself. So what are some of the skill sets that were really super important for you to pick up early on when you do want to make this transition from just a, a passion to an actual business? Yeah. So our business has grown, you know, and changed so much over the years. So I think it's, it's been different skill sets that I've had to learn and stretch for in different times, but if I'm thinking pre-launch and in the first year, I mean, the biggest thing I had to learn was digital marketing. I had never worked in this space before. I had been working as a community organizer and working for nonprofits. Um, I read a lot about digital marketing and I, I watched a lot of companies that I admired to kind of see what they did. Um, but it was definitely a learning curve to figure out the right ways to get traffic and the right ways to build a sense of community around a company that was entirely online. Um, and I think one of the things that I did off the bat and that we still work really hard to do is be really clear about who we are and the, the size that we are. So I, when it was just, now we're a team of five people, but when it was just me, I used mostly the first person in our marketing because it was just me writing everything. I showed people photos of where we were shipping from. Um, I, you know, invited people along on the journey of how our business was growing. And um, I think that helped build a sense of community around it. So that, that was kind of, I guess, more the soft skill of like figuring out how to, how to really tell the story of what we were doing in a compelling way. And then, you know, I also learned about paid traffic acquisition, some successful, some unsuccessful, but we, we worked a lot with driving Pinterest traffic, um, building out lead magnets that would uh, get people over to our website, learning about email marketing and email marketing, you know, um, automation. So those are the more, I guess, hard skills as opposed to the softer skills of, of storytelling. And I flexed my learning muscles on both of those to learn those in the beginning. Yeah, there's that the first point about basically being transparent about your business and not try to make it larger than than it is. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of people might think, oh, you want to appear very professional, very buttoned up, and that um, you know maybe that you are more than just yourself that's running the business. What? Why do you think it helps to to? Why do you think it helped you to be transparent about the stage that you're at, showing them the behind the scenes early on, letting them know that it was just you behind the the, the company. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, we have just, maybe everyone says this to you and obviously I'm biased, but we have the most amazing customers 
And people really have been excited to support us and to see what we're going to work on next. And I think that's a big part because they have have been part of the story of our company from the beginning. Um, one of the things that we did about a year into our business when, or a year and a half when we launched our first own line of weaving yarn is we, we had pre-orders and we invited people to invest in a product line that was going to be six or seven months later. And people were really excited to do that. And we were really lucky to raise enough money for that. How did you see your community growing because you were transparent about your business? Yeah, I think people are just excited to know what is really happening behind the scenes of a business. You know, you want to buy from people. You don't want to buy from a company. You want to know what their values are and what kind of quality they're working with. And I think I think it's as simple as that. Now, you had mentioned that one of the skill sets that you had to pick up was about digital marketing. And you said something I think really important, which was that you read a lot about digital marketing and you watched a lot, observed what other companies that you, you admired, what they were doing. How, how useful was that? Like, what, what were you able to get out of kind of doing this kind of research, reading and watching? Oh, I think everything. I mean, because I had no experience in e-commerce, really. Um, I listened to your podcast a lot. I listened to other podcasts and just hearing people in really different industries share what they did and then think, oh, we, we could try something like that for for our niche and see if that works. You know, I mean, I don't think that much of this, or at least much that we have done is extremely like hard to figure out or complicated. It's really just thinking about what's going to tempt a customer um, to want to get on our email list and where can we find them so we can tempt them. For us, what's been really successful has been creating some guides and about weaving and lots of free patterns for people to download. So that's what can help get people interested in learning about our company and where we find them is often on Pinterest and also through Google search. Yeah. So that, that's, I think a great point about a couple of good, good points. I want to talk about the first one that you, you mentioned, which was about listening to what worked for people in different industries. I think the the most uh, immediate kind of instinctual approach towards starting businesses is looking at, or maybe even copying what, another another company in your space is doing, but you're saying that it was also beneficial to look outside your industry. Do you have any examples you can think of that that you found from another industry, you heard about another company in different industry, a different category that you tried out in, in yours and that, that worked? I don't think it's anything like groundbreaking for people who are researching about e-commerce, the things I'm going to say, but like you know, really heavily focusing on building our email list and delivering content that people were excited to open and engage with and purchase from has, has been my goal. Like from before the company was open was, was building out that email list and the strategies that we've used to build out the email list are different kinds of resources, um, that, you know, called lead magnets that people can use. So that's something that people use in, in, in lots of industries, that I learned from um, different strategies. You know, we've used different strategies over the years. In the, in the beginning, digital marketing was a big part of it, especially cold prospecting through Pinterest. As our company has grown, I've shifted our resources. Um, you know, we're spending less money as a percentage of our revenue you know, to like Facebook and mm-hmm. Pinterest and the big tech companies and more towards our own team and other um designers and to, to, to create 
content and we're basically using content to power our growth. Uh, I'd always rather hire someone great to weave a pattern than, you know, give money to the big advertising platform. So as much as possible, we're trying to use our content to grow now. I think it's really, you know, there's different phases of a business and and you can leverage growth in, in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned that worked for you early on, that, and I also think that's very accessible to anyone that's just starting a business is this idea of these lead magnets. And I think you mentioned almost like two types, right? One, you said patterns. So you're actually shipping out or giving out free, like basically free products. And then also you mentioned like guides, which I'm assuming is like a digital guide that, uh, you know, doesn't cost you any money other than the first time that, that you had to make it. Can you talk to us about these two different strategies of, of lead magnets and how, how they worked? Yeah. So for our community, you know, we, we sell to weavers and a weaving pattern is a digital download that shows photos of something you can make and gives you instructions for how to make it. And then we sell, of course, the yarn to make it with. So we have published many dozens of patterns over the years. And those some of those are free and some of those are paid. And free patterns are a big part of what brings people to our site and helps them learn about us and trust us before they move on to purchasing from us. So that's one kind. And then the other thing that you mentioned is a guide. So helping people figure out what kind of weaving equipment they want to start with or helping people figure out what else do we have? Just like learning the technical names of different sizes of weaving yarn. Yeah. Basically, we're working to demystify um, this hobby and craft and art and welcome as many people in as want to. Yeah. Now, the the interesting thing when I hear you talk about these lead magnets was that uh, it, it kind of sets them up for for buying, right? The, these kind of, uh, the, these, um, the guides to teach them how to, to weave these patterns. And then you're selling the, the products to help them, for them to use those patterns. Now, how did you come up with that kind of strategy about what would make a good lead magnet? Like what was your, what's your strategy these days to continually, you know, churn out content that is going to attract your, your customers? Well, our customers tell us what they want to hear. <laughs> Luckily, they're in contact with us all the time. They ask us questions about weaving. So technical questions that helps us um, figure out things to answer. So we hear from our customers and we also work with some really great writers um, who are weavers and also writers and teachers. And they guest write blog blogs for our website um, and do a really good job of explaining different weaving techniques. So yeah, it's kind of a mix of the the really good ideas that they come up with and the questions that we see coming up again and again through our customer service channels that we use for our blog. Yeah. So talk to us about how this works like logistically. Once you have an idea for a, a, a lead magnet, like talk to us about the the production of that lead magnet all the way to the point of how do they how do they get it? How do they get how did what is it how do they get into your community to get the lead magnet? Talk to us about that process. Okay. You know, this is one of the things where being a member of your own niche is really helpful. So I would think about, you know, at that point I had learned to weave like seven or eight years earlier. And so I thought about what would have been most helpful for me to know and the biggest questions I had. And I wrote up some guides and then, um, how do we promote the, I promoted those, um, through Pinterest. I think I mentioned a couple of times Pinterest that's been, in the past, at least really good for our niche. And I would run promoted pin campaigns, um, trying to get people to click into the website. And when they would click in, they could download the guide for free. And then we would email them in the future if they wanted to be on our email list. So that is what we did then. And it's totally possible, you know, even if 
um, you're just starting out to do all by yourself. That's what we did. And um, now as our team has grown, um, our creative director and our e-commerce strategist think through a lot of topics with some of the, the writers and weavers we work with um, and they and they publish. But again, I would say at this point, it's less about, it's, it's really just about answering the questions that our customers have and then the other benefits um, to our website traffic kind of arise from that. Now, when you were process building this email list, was that before you launched the business? Like before you even had any products to sell, were you trying to build that email list at that point? Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest pieces of advice I would give to somebody starting out is to start before you start. Um, and I, I think I built an Instagram account and a MailChimp, you know, like a free MailChimp account um, before I started and had the the newsletter sign up in that Instagram profile and just started sharing with people what we were going to be doing and what I was going to be doing and what was coming and commenting and engaging with other people in the, in, in, in the weaving community. And that happened for about six months. And I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think we had an email list of a couple hundred. I had an email list of a couple hundred people by the time we launched. And, um, as I said, we had a really successful first day and anybody who's opened a store knows that that first, you know, those first moments of wondering if everything you've been working on is going to come to something or if you're really making something people want or not. Um, it's, it's really can be so validating to have that list up front and, um, to have people buy in on the first day, keep you moving along. Hey, Real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. Yeah, now I want to talk about like what that looks like today when people get on your email list. But when you were just getting started for the first time, building that list, gearing for a launch, tell us about that. Like, what do you have to do during a launch? Let's say that you do build an email list of you know hundreds, maybe even a thousand or more uh, before you launch your business. Like, what should go into uh, launching your business if you have a, a list like that? I think just telling the story of what you're up to and trying to find the people that are interested in and being a part of it. I don't think it's really more complicated than that. At least it it wasn't for what we were working on. I shared photos of the yarn that I was sourcing. I shared stories of where it was sourcing from and photos of me weaving with it. And I asked people to support and join if they wanted something like this to exist. And they did. What kind of content goes out these days do you find that that has been the most helpful in driving traffic back to the website or, or even ultimately making purchases? Um, it's really the pattern. So we are lucky to just be working with a really great bunch of weaving pattern designers this year. Um, and they, we have some, some pattern designers internally on our team and some externally that we hire as contractors and they put together beautiful projects that inspire people to want to weave with our yarn. And that that is really one of the big things that keeps our our sales engine moving. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about the, the shift into from um, the early days where you were spending more on kind of paid acquisition to now transitioning to to content marketing and investing more in your your content production. But let's talk about the early days when you had this Pinterest strategy. And if your audience or your customers are on Pinterest, it sounded like it worked really well for you. Was that, I, I know you've shifted since then, but like, was that a strategy that you would go back and do again if you were to start from scratch? 
Yeah. I mean, that's a little bit hard to answer because these digital platforms change so quickly. Um, and to be perfectly upfront, like we're not able to get the same results at the same price on Pinterest that we were four years ago. Um, it's just a lot more expensive than it used to be. And that, that changes the calculation of how to reach people. So I think like if I were going to do it again four years ago in the same landscape, yeah, it worked well and I would do it again. If I were launching a company now and if that's um, what people listening to this are, are thinking about, um, it's really about trying things. Like I also tried Facebook a lot and couldn't make that work affordably. I also, you know, did a lot of just like networking with people um, that was successful Am I saying that you should go to Pinterest right now? Maybe, maybe not. Depends on your niche and, and whether that works for you. But just keep trying until something works well and then keep running that through as long as it works, basically. Yeah. And, you know, given that 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 approach of just trying a bunch of different things and, and you know, choosing the, or reinvesting back into things that worked and pulling back from things that didn't, it's, it's kind of like a very almost like a qualitative uh, approach. Is there a, like a methodical aspect of this? Like how do you know when to try something else or how, how, when do you know what to try next? Like, do you have a strategy for that? I mean, I think the methodical part of it all is having a really good sense of your financials. So, um, this is another thing that's really important. Um, very early on in a business, I think is understanding your cost of goods sold every month and your profit and your other expenses. And, you know, unless you have big pocket investors, which I did not, um, you, you got to stay in the black. You got to, you got to keep having enough money to keep going. So I, the methodical part of all of our advertising was always, you know, can we have, you know, are we spending, we, we were, are you spending, if you're spending more on advertising than you're making in revenue minus the cost of what you're selling, then you definitely need to scale back. So um, I look at my numbers every week, sometimes every day um, related to expenses and revenue and keep a close eye on that. Um, and I think it's always good to be trying new things, even as some things are working really well, because things will always ebb and flow. And then you'll have new things that are kind of in the works as older advertising channels maybe stop working as well. And, you know, with all of the changes with privacy updates on Facebook and other platforms, I definitely feel lucky that we don't have all of our eggs in that basket. Mm, makes sense. Now, once this, uh, you started making this shift to, again, investing in your own team and investing in, in content production, talk to us about that. Like, what were the kind of initial hires or what was the, the, the vision of, the, of the, the content that you were creating? Yeah. So the first two people I hired, uh, they're both still with us. Their names are LaShawn and Emma. LaShawn was producing um, a podcast for us and Emma was working with weaving designers to design patterns out of our materials and publishing blog posts. Both LaShawn and Emma were publishing blog posts um, with the content that they were making. And that really both of those things at once really started to be a game changer and bring our business into the next um, stage, I would say, of engaging with a lot of people in the community and having a lot of content that people were just super excited to tune into. And we've been able to just continue to grow each of those things from there. But definitely that was the best thing we ever did was to start 
investing in growing the team and growing the content that we make. Yeah. And you know, and you share some of your numbers with us and it's pretty crazy growth over the last year. Talk to us about that. Like how fast has the business grown since you've basically gone full time with it? We have a little less than doubled every year. I don't think we're going to do that this year. (laughs) I think um, we're still growing, but I think our growth is going to slow quite a bit, which is normal and healthy and fine. I'm not trying to run like a global domination yarn company. I want to, I want to run a business that I'm really proud of with materials I'm proud of and make a work environment that we're all excited to work in. Um, and, and some growth is necessary for that. Um, yeah, I mean, last year in 2020, a lot of people were staying home obviously to be safe and it brought a lot of new people into weaving and crafts. And so we were, um, you know, honored to be part of people's at home (laughs) journeys and we shipped a lot of yarn as people were staying home last year. So now one of the things you had mentioned was um, about how important it is to build this community. And, you know, you mentioned email list is, is an aspect of that. Talk to us about what, I guess, what community means to you. Like, so an email list, something that someone can have, but like how, what, what makes an email list or what makes a list become a community? Like what aspects of it did you try to focus on to make sure that it becomes a community? That's a really good question because that's definitely a word that's thrown around a lot. And there, there's different layers of the community. I wouldn't, I think part of being a community is in what we do is being in contact with a number of people who are teaching this craft of weaving, being in touch with a number of the mills and vendors who are making yarn for this community, um, weavers who are designing for it. So there's like different, there's different ways and, and, some of them are jobs and some of them are hobbies that people engage with this. And so it's just being part of those conversations and having real honest and growing relationships with lots of people. Um, and we use our Instagram and channel and Facebook channel. We try to open up conversations and on our podcast, we've hosted a lot of conversations about um, weaving the history of weaving and textiles, the way weaving and textiles are part of contemporary movements for political change. We kind of really take a big picture look at art and textiles um, and the way we think about community on that podcast. So there's different layers, I guess, is the long way of answering a short question. Um, that's how we think about it. Awesome. And one of the, the biggest advantages that you have is around having into this community, having the, this list is how you do the, the pre-orders. So talk to us about that. What, what is your kind of pre-order strategy and how does having that community that having that email list help with all of that? Yeah. So when we started out, we were just buying yarn that other people were making and selling it uh, at wholesale prices and then selling it at retail. And about a year and a half into it, we decided to launch our first line of in-house weaving yarn. And that is just a much bigger financial commitment. You know, I went from ordering 50 to a hundred pounds of yarn to looking at needing to order 2000 pounds of yarn. Um, and so there's obviously much bigger associated costs for that and costs for storing all of that yarn. And so um, I knew that I wanted to do this. I knew that I had a strong hunch that our customers would love it. And I also knew that I did not have the cash to pay that upfront. So uh, the options were to not make a big leap like that 
or to put it on a credit card maybe, or maybe try to find a bank that would loan us money. But that was probably not going to happen one year into our business. Um, or to try to get our customers to invest in us. And so that is what we decided to do. And we uh, shared about this first line of yarn we were making and what was in it and the colors we were planning to make. And we asked if people would be willing to pre-order it and help get this new line of yarn off the ground. And I was just blown away by the support that our community gave us. And we raised enough money to fully fund the manufacture, the milling of that first batch of yarn. Um, and that really, that really got us going. And since then, as we've launched new lines of yarn, we've used that pre-order model again. And anybody who is running, you know, like a rapidly growing inventory based business knows that getting ahead of cash for new product lines that create, that have a significant investment, like it can just be so hard to catch, to catch up and have the cash flow that you need to launch something new that's expensive. And pre-orders have um, let us do that. Basically it's our customers investing in us and, and getting yarn back. Yeah. And what's the, the product development process where, where if you have an idea or maybe before then, how do you even come up with new, new ideas or new products that you, uh, you want to release? Is there a, some kind of testing that's involved or how do you know, whether it be like a line of yarn or new products that you want to offer, how do you make sure that it is something that your customers want before you invest into it? We do a lot of testing, you know, members of our team will weave with it. Uh, sometimes we will send it out to customers or other people in the industry and have them give their honest feedback on it as it develops. That's for like kind of the base yarn. And then we'll also think through as a team what color lines we think would go with the yarn. So there's there's definitely a lot of testing. And then there's also some amount of guessing and hoping that you make what people will want. Um, and being close to your customers as possible, I think is the best way to guess right as often as possible. Yeah. And you had mentioned too, now that, now that you've made this transition into manufacturing it, your, your, your own products, what, what, what else did you have to learn along the way that you mentioned that there was a kind of a reselling aspect of the business at first into now manufacturing your own when, if someone wants to make that kind of transition, um, you know, obviously it's different in each industry. What did you have to, to, to kind of get right though, in order for you to make this big leap? Well, I think you have to learn a lot about manufacturing, which I knew some about some kinds of manufacturing, but not much of anything about yarn manufacturing. So, you know, just a lot of humility and doing a lot of research and not being afraid to ask questions of the manufacturing partners that you're working with. So I think that's a big, it's a big learning curve to learn how to work well with a manufacturer. And it's also, I mean, it's one of my favorite parts of my job and is, is learning about and getting to partner with the really wonderful people who create high quality products. Um, so I love sourcing and I love making new products. It's stressful, obviously, but it's also just a huge learning opportunity. Awesome. Now I want to talk a little bit about the website and you know, I wear like this, the design of a lot of great photography on this website. Talk to us about what went into creating the, the, the website as it exists today. Oh yeah. So we did, I'm talking to you in June of 2021. We did, we started a rebranding, refreshing and rebranding and redesigning website process um, in July of last year. 
we worked with a really amazing designer named Maggie Putnam, um, who developed a new refreshed brand identity for us. Our first brand, you know, I made our logo in Photoshop and I'm no graphic designer. Um, so she created a beautiful new logo for us and she really worked deeply with our team and our stakeholders to understand our brand and design um, an updated and new version for us to use. So that was the visual end of things. Um, in terms of photography, our creative director, Emma, worked with two really amazing photographers who we have ongoing relationships with um, that do the lifestyle and um, product shots on our website. Um, and we rebuilt, we used the turbo theme. We did some custom development for some kit bundling. We worked with developers for that. Um, and we built also a lot of it, you know, in-house <laughs> kind of just figuring it out. I mean, the Shopify platform is really great for that. You can do a lot without having a ton of technical knowledge. So, mm. yeah, this process of developing a brand identity, uh, what, what goes into creating a brand identity? You mentioned that you, you worked with some, some experts on this, but like, what do you have to bring to the table, I guess, as a, as an owner to help develop that brand identity? Well, it depends who you work with. The person who we worked with, um, who maybe you can link to in the show notes, she's really just exceptional. Um, her name is Maggie Putnam. She, you know, she wanted to understand a lot about the values of our business. She wanted to understand a lot about um, where we had come from and where we were headed, about the the opportunities and the um, concerns that we had about rebranding. So it was just way, way deeper than I think I expected going into it, which would maybe be like, oh, like these seem like some good colors for a company like yours. And let's go with these fonts. Um, and it came out with um, yeah, what, what she came out with many months, I think it was a six month process, six months later, really well reflects our brand and has been, it's just allowed, um, our creative team to really run with that brand and continue developing what we do with that. Yeah. And when you began this journey back in July of 2020, what was the, the, the goal? What made you decide like this is something we should invest our, our you know, resources into? We just, our company had really outgrown our brand identity. <laughs> you know, we were, we were making these really beautiful product like yarn and designers were making these beautiful pieces with our yarn and it just didn't all fit together visually. And, you know, we're an arts and crafts company. So aesthetics are just so important. We just, we knew we needed something new. I don't really know how else to put it. I think probably we needed something new even earlier, but this was when we could afford to take the leap. Yeah. And, you know, when you look on your website these days, what do you think is the most important either aspect or even important pages of the website that you think are most important for that have helped help the most, I guess, in building up the business? Well, specific to our website, I would say like the patterns and the, the collections of those and also the resources about weaving, I think are really good about page is really important so people can understand the story and people behind the company. I guess this is obvious, but the homepage, you know, you want people to land on it and just feel like, oh, I want to hang out with these people. <laughs> I want to just settle in and, and see what's up here. So mm, makes sense. Now, one of the interesting things about your email sign up is that you ask for more details than, you know, what would you typically see on a, on any other kind of 
sign up email sign up page you ask for what type of weaving are you interested in and also the uh, birthday what was the decision behind adding those additional kind of um pieces of information that you're requesting yeah so Susie, who set these up has been testing lots of different kinds of pop-ups and this has been the most successful one for us so far um, but we love using Clavio to test different creative and different options for pop-ups. And we ask about different kinds of weaving because we intend to segment our lists based on that in the future. And we ask about birthdays because we send you a present on your birthday. Awesome. So you mentioned Clavio as, as what you use for, for email. Are mm-hmm. there any other apps that you use or that you rely on that you recommend for other people to check out? Yeah, this is kind of specific to our site, but we use uh, I think it's called Boost Product Filter and Search. And if you have a large catalog and you want to have people be able to sort it by drop down menus, we love that app. And it also has a really good um, search component as well. Um, what other apps? I mean, like most stores, we use too many apps. <laughs> but, um, you know, chat is a good one. We like talking with our customers. Awesome. Yeah, so the website it the website is just yarn g i s t y a r n dot com. And I'll leave this last question. You know, what what has been the biggest lesson that you've learned over the last year that you want to apply moving forwards? I think the biggest lesson is about our team. Um we we transitioned to all working remotely. Um and with the start of the pandemic and we over the course of the pandemic also hired people who are not even local to us. So we couldn't work together physically in the future. Um, and I've just been so impressed at the flexibility that the other four women on my team have to just kind of roll with everything and really build a sense of community and camaraderie on our team through Zoom and Slack and all of these digital channels. So what I've learned is that a lot of the ways that I thought about work are changing, um, but it's still really important to make a work environment for your team that feels um, just nurturing and challenging and creative. Um, So keeping that top of mind while operating in a new format is something I've been learning about and still have a lot to learn. Awesome. So again, justyarn.com is a website. You also have a podcast for all of our podcast listeners out there uh, called Weave. Real quick, what, what is it? Uh, what is it? What is it about? Um, we interview artists and mill owners and farmers and all sorts of people that relate to weaving and textiles and talk about the threads that bind us together. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience, Sarah. Thank you, Felix. It was great talking to you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.